Welcome to another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today I'm joined by one of my friends and very a person very well known in the industry, and that's Sarah Hunt from the CCMA. Hello. Hey. Oh, thanks for having me. Really excited. I can't believe we haven't done one of these already, given how long we've known each other. No, I know. And you know what? I remember the very first conversation you and I had, and you were talking about doing the podcast, and you were like, will anyone come on it? And you'll do one with me, won't you? And I was like, yeah, but I'll do one when you're settled in. And it's like, what, episode 60-odd later? Yeah, this is this will be 62. So this this is in the third year now. Um, it's, it's amazing how time's gone so quick and what a crazy year it's been. Because I think about one of the things that became a bit of a ritual for me and you was to have a photo with each other at the judging. I know, and it was brilliant. And we've missed out this year, haven't we? We should have done it. Healthy. We should have done. We should have done. But we were just talking before we hit record. And I've, um, like I say, through doing the quality SIG, through doing all the judging, from seeing you at all events, um, we naturally get on with the same sort of people. We like to have a chat and we love that sort of side of, of things in the industry. And I know some of your um, past, but I don't know all of it. So we, I generally tend to start with a question around how have you got here to where you are now what's your what's been your career journey oh wow so when you when I think about it like that it's kind of like 20 plus years isn't it, it makes you feel a bit kind of old really and <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think it's going to be a really familiar story to a lot of people I kind of fell into contact centers so um I left university and actually I hadn't left university. We were deciding where we were all going to live. We were all, all friends together and we were kind of, which city do we want to live in? And um, my friend worked at Barclay Card in Manchester and she said, oh, I've just got a job at Barclay Card. I'm sure they're still hiring. You know, do you want to, do you want to come along and uh, get an interview? We were like, oh, actually Manchester's a pretty cool city. But, you know, that might be a goer. So, um, so yeah, so I ended up going for a job, which was called Tells back in the day. So it was the telephone section. She'd got correspondence and that was like, seemed to be the better, the better. <laughs> and, then, and then I ended up in Tells and uh, yes, I worked for Barclay Card for about, probably about two years. And it was all about kind of saving up and, and going traveling. Um, but I remember back in the day, I mean, you know, that really was 25 years ago. Barclays were well ahead of the game in some of the stuff. If I think to what some of the contact centre industry is doing today, they were doing it 25 years ago. You know, and what sort of thing? Well, in respect of kind of how they onboarded people and mentored, you, you went through an extensive training programme, you were mentored for at least six months. Um, you know, there was lots of time off the phone for development. Um I remember they had a thing called um, the Integrated Ideas Scheme. And basically it was it was today's kind of continuous improvement ideas, uh, you know, right from the grassroots. And um, anyone could ent- could put in an idea to change something or something that they didn't like. And, um, and if it was a goer, you got an opportunity to work with the project team to kind of bring it to life. And um, But the, the good bit about it, you got a chunk of the savings. So if it generated revenue or or it actually wow. there was a saving you you would as an individual get a percentage of it um, and and that was like you know 25 years ago so so kind of that starting point 
And, and what were you doing for them? Were you, at, were you on the phones? Yeah, I was on the phones, yeah. Yeah, I was a contact. Did center. you like it? Yeah, loved it, loved it. Yeah, it was great. And um, and what was great was that the people, and we always say that, don't we? But there was a real mix of people. Some people, had, had, you know, like were, were kind of finishing the careers and had been there for 30 years. And um, and the way that they were paid as contact centre agents, they'd kind of worked through the bands of Barclays and, and were on like, you know, a substantial wage on, on the telephone. So they really, you know, they were happy to stay there. So, yeah, so I had a little bit of um, an opportunity to kind of step in as a team manager. And then I then I did actually go travelling and then came back because I had no money, as you always do. <laughs> um, and then got my job back at Barclays, which is great, just walked straight into it and then did another year there as a team manager and then got a job at a company called JD Williams, which um, is part of M Brown Group. Which That's some um, catalogues, isn't it? It is a fashion retailer, yes. Yeah, and um, well, old-fashioned catalogues, actually. Um, I know, I, and that, so when did I go there? It was probably, oh, I can't remember, but early, early 20s. And that was that's kind of- weird. As, as an outsourcer, one of the bit of works I did was for JD Williams. Oh, was it? What doing what? Yeah, um, I think we were offering them extra services. It was outbound, outbound sales, outbound dialing, and yeah. JD Williams was always a good campaign. Love that campaign. What a small world. I know. Oh well, and they, they we had the biggest outbound department. There was about two hundred and fifty agents in outbound. Um, and it was it was just a great organisation to work with. I loved it, and it was it. I was in a great city, and we worked hard, and we and you know we literally as soon as we finished work, we were out we were out all night. So it was great, but just so many opportunities. I remember think I stayed there for about twelve years, and um, and I stayed because every time I got a little bit bored, or I was ready for the next challenge or the next thing, they would always give you something new to get hold of. So I had a couple of roles there. So I ended up starting as a team manager and they had two sites. So I ended up working over both sites. Um, and then I went to the outsourcing team. So I set up the outsourcers. So we had about four outsourcers working for us from Scotland or like to hold down to London. Um, and then my last couple of years there, I worked in the outbound sales department as the contact centre manager. Was one of the outsourcers Stella yes. in Scotland? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Wow, yeah. I never knew this as well. This is the great thing about doing the podcast and finding finding stuff out. Um, mm-hmm. Let me just take you back then. So how did you um, find the transition to team manager? Did you, I can imagine you're quite natural, or but was it was it a challenge? What, what, did you just take to it well? Yeah, no, I, I really liked it because the... the focus for me was kind of the people bit I really enjoyed talking not not you know talking to people and understanding what they liked and what they didn't like so yeah so I, I kind of love that team manager bit and also I I found I've been really lucky in that that team manager and contact centre manager role wasn't just about managing a small team you usually got an opportunity to work on different mm-hmm projects or initiatives are kind of you, you know you were able to kind of almost decide what else you liked and work in that area as well so we I used to work a lot with the um sales teams and the engagement teams and you know comms teams to do all the fun stuff as well because you know who doesn't like to do that in the day job exactly I think that's a really good point actually that the expectations that um 
are put on contact centre managers is actually really good in that you're not just going to be managing your team. You will get asked to run a project or work on other projects or work with other with other teams. And that definitely put me in good stead as well as to, like you say, kind of where do you find your sweet spot? What, what was it for you then? Where, what happened after um, JD? So then after JD, I, um, I went over to co-op. So I, I went to the co-op bank, first of all, um, and that was that was very very different actually, and it was um, it was a bit of a shock because I'd come from a retail environment which was very very fast, very focused on cost, really focused on efficiencies, um, and then gone into financial services where we so we'd gone from something like twenty five percent shrinkage at JDs, forty percent at co-op shrinkage. So it, it was like, whoa, what are we going to do with all this time? Um, and also I found it obviously it was a regulated environment I found that difficult a difficult step going from retail to regulated as well so um and but yeah but after after I stayed there for a couple of years and then I moved into insurance um and then I finally did my last couple of years at co-op was in their transformation team actually so I was um the operational lead for the whole transformation onto uh, brand new systems and kits and and uh, it was you know CX journey mapping all the customer journeys from scratch as well and that's where I found the last couple of years um so yeah again just ended up doing a variety of roles really and when you think about everything that you're in my head I was just thinking okay there's CX there's technology there's sales there's customer service there's there's different industries, retail, um, regulated, financial. You've kind of you've kind of done them all, and that kind of well-rounded um, level of experience must have put you in. You well, you're in the perfect position to add some real value to where you are now, the CCMA. Yeah, yeah, and before I joined the CCMA, I was always um, I was always a judge. So I judged in the UKs and started judging on the X's that first year as well before I left co-op. Um, and I'd, and I, I I wanted to do it for, for different reasons. And one that um, I was asked to do it anyway because of my experience and, and you know, my um, network in the industry. But also because um, I think sometimes operationally you, you tend to focus on an internal view, don't you? You're so busy. It's head down, isn't it? You, you know, you just get on with things. And I, I think I wanted an external perspective and I really wanted to understand what else was going on in the market and with and with other organisations. So um, so started judging, loved it. And you and I met there and, and that was great. And, you know, I met loads of fr- who are class as friends now. Um, went all over, you know, the Europe, but never mind the UK. Um, and then got asked to join the team, the CCMA team. And yeah. And that's been great because I've been able to take my operational experience, but then really focus on that external lens. What is real best practice out there? What are people doing? Um, yeah, so that's kind of how I ended up at the CCMA. And then, so it's interesting, isn't it? When you say, again, we had sort of similar journeys. Some of the stuff that I was doing in some of the first centres I worked in has really stood the test of time, hasn't it? So when people contact you and they ask your advice you know whether it is how do I become an award winner or um, how do I really excel in my 
in my position, what's the sort of, actually, it's, what's the main question you get asked? Oh, yeah, from a, from a teaching point of view, if people who are ready to kind of share their story um, and they ask, you know, is, is, it, is it the right time? Should I be doing it now? Um, the, the key for us is to kind of say, you know, have you got, have you got a story to tell? Um, you know, where did you start? What were, the, what were the key challenges? What was the focus? And kind of tell everybody about what it is that you did in order to get to the result you did. And, um, and I suppose what, what is good practice is considering all of those areas. It's, you know, what happened with the people side of it, you know, the financial side of it, the process improvement, continuous improvement bit, um, and customers as well. So if somebody's can build that story and that picture, um, and share that with somebody that's kind of where we feel like is, is you know sharing your best practice really how is the um this is a huge big question so um how has the industry changed for you well, what over this last year or just in general okay well yeah let's start this last year yeah so uh, so i think god this year hasn't what god what hasn't changed <laughs> <laughs> daily and, and monthly um i mean you you know i'm not telling you anything that nobody's ever said themselves it's that whole agility piece has come out massively um but underpinning that i think what we've seen is the real people focus and we've always been people focused in our industry anyway but even more so this year and um you know and that might be in response to and a requirement for it because people have been going through a really, really tough time. Um, but I like to think it isn't. I think, you know, people have just kind of really stepped stepped it up. And, um, you know, I think it's underpinning everything. People are talking about, yeah, we've been, we've been agile and we've put new brand new systems in or we've moved to the cloud or we've done this or we've moved offices. But genuinely, people seem to be talking about how they've supported people and how they've held them through that journey and, and kind of, supported them through it that that's what's shining through for me over the last year does that include things like um mental health those types of those types of topics that have definitely uh there's a lot more awareness and prevalence of those now isn't there than when let's say when me and you started oh yeah absolutely and you know and it's and it's a great i mean you did your last podcast didn't you on on mental health and you know, when Pete shared your personal experience with you, really, really powerful. And I think more people are comfortable sharing now and talking about it, um, which is creating an, an opportunity for organisations to support people on it. Um, you know, it's, it was is a category that we've put in the awards recently around kind of inclusion, diversity and supporting well-being and, and you know, around that. Um, and it's great to see organisations really stepping up um, and doing stuff at every level that supports mental health and physical health and, and you know emotional well-being you can, you can really see that there's loads there's still a way to go definitely um, and we should still be talking about it you mentioned their kind of inclusivity um, and that when you think I'm sure it's borne out in the latest um, like contact Babel uh, report that this is probably one of the few industries where not only is there a, an equal gender split, but it's probably slightly in favour of um, females in the contact centre 
industry. I've had more female bosses and peers than than male. Um, but there's we were talking before again before recording about a topic that probably doesn't get the focus that it that it deserves, and that's the the menopause. And I I know it's something you're really passionate about, and I'm genuinely interested in um, your experiences and what you think we can be doing as a as an industry. Yeah, I, and you know, it is something that I'm really passionate about. If you talk to any of my friends, I'm, I'm always sending them an article or a blog or a podcast or something on, on the menopause. And as a as a, a woman of menopausal age, um, you know, it's really important to me. And something that kind of crept up on me, and, and, and I think if you talk to lots of other women, they'll say the same thing. Um, you know, it can manifest itself in lots of different ways in kind of lack of confidence and anxiety and you know some physical symptoms that that you know make you tired and and maybe not fit for, for fit for work so um I remember at a time towards when I was at the co-op there was times when I especially because I was on this high profile really you know fast-paced project transformation there was times when I was suffering from kind of a, a bit of anxiety and a bit of low level anxiety and I'd never suffered from that before and I wasn't sure you know what, what it was or where it had come from and I'd always been in quite a high pressured environments before and I was thinking why well, you know why am I can't why can't I handle this and why can't I handle that decision or that meeting and um, and now when I look back I kind of think you know a lot of it I was in in perimenopause I was you know on the start of the menopause and and that was probably one of my biggest symptoms um, and reading now and reaching out to um, other women in our industry, but outside of our industry, who are going through that same life change, um, has been great for me. And um, you know, it's given me an opportunity to kind of understand what I've been feeling, but but help others as well. And um, you know, we just talked a little bit, didn't we, about kind of keeping that um, well-being and mental health agenda at the forefront, and still organisations should still be talking about it. And I think menopause is one of the things that we should be talking about. There's 13 million women at the moment who are going through the menopause. And, um, you know, if we can start talking about that in organisations and talking about how our organisations can support women, especially ours, as you said, you know, has traditionally always been, um, you know, more of a female gender orientated industry. Um, if we can start to talk about that and table that in contact centres, then, you know, I think we should be doing it. I mean, I, it's remiss of me to say I've been, I'm ignorant of the side effects um, and that it can cause anxiety and what, what other ways does it, does it manifest? There's 32 symptoms for the menopause. Really? Yeah. And it can be anything from um, hearing issues to um, balance, to muscle aches, to anxiety to um, skin itchiness you know ev- everything you name it it's there's 32 of them <laughs> wow yeah you ne- women never have it easy to I know. <laughs> I'm gonna say it again I've said it many times I'm glad I'm a boy um so what how do you um even how do you even kind of approach that because doesn't the am I right in thinking the treatment also has um side effects no and that's where um 
And that's where it, this needs to be a little bit of myth busting, actually. And um, I don't know, there's a, there was a programme on last week with Davina McCall, actually. It was on Channel 4 and she did an hour about it and she kind of um, debunked quite a few myth, myths on it. Um, and it kind of goes through that, what has traditionally been a side effect of um, hormone replacement therapy was um, breast cancer. And um, it talks about how that's not the case and, um, you know, all the other things that HRT are supposed to um, have side effects for it kind of goes into detail so it is about education loads of really good um, menopausal specialists and doctors on Instagram and Facebook and you know just blogs and websites um, that that are uploading loads of content and podcasts and, and kind of technical and medical information but also kind of just sharing women's stories as well so I'd encourage people to start with those Um, but lots of organizations now are starting to um, have HR um, menopause policies and the HR policies which is great to see Um, yeah see not not everybody's you know have them yet so it's time to kind of get everybody else in the space and what would you say what would you ask of me or individuals who um you know we're in positions of influence so I guess it starts with with education but how um I'm kind of floundering around a question here it's only because it is a it is an old kind of cliche but I've definitely seen it in evidence less so um thankfully where I work now but I have seen it where it's kind of if when when men as leaders are involved it it, it kind of gets put in that whole bracket of women's problems and uh, you know f- maybe f- from well from a place of being trying to be caring people go just you do whatever you need to do take whatever time but they don't get involved in terms of understanding um, what it is and I could say I would probably put myself in in that bracket in the past where you would say to people yeah Look, I don't need to know the details, but whatever you need to do, then you can do it. So it's supportive, but it's supportive from a partly from a place of not knowing. Um, whereas you 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 compare it to like mental health, and there's far more awareness. So I like to think of myself as I, I'm interested and want to be open and equitable and learn, but I don't know anything about the menopause. And and you know what, Martin, you're not alone. And that's kind of the that's been the bit about championing it over the last year or so. Is that I mean, even GPs get very limited training. I think they have one virtual online module about it as part of their training. Um, so you'll find that a lot of GPs are, are, are in the same space as well. So you know, it's just as you know, us talking about it now. That that's mm-hmm. as well, isn't it? You know, you just kind of going out admitting I don't know much about it but you know knowing you you will absolutely go finish this and go straight on to something more about it and you know if we're all doing that that's that's the way forward isn't it and then so obtaining like learning including it in in your policies just again companies doing that makes it makes an impact on where people want to work um, if they know it's uh, an environment where they're going to be cared for, care, cared for from an informed place, exactly. And I think that's the that's the difference because, like you say, thirteen million women going through that's staggering. Yeah, 
and, and it's like you know you you wouldn't when you, if you're going to a new organization you're looking for that you know the same values aren't your shared values you know what, what it is that the organization organization stands for you know just now we you wouldn't be happy if an organization didn't have a mental health policy you know it, it should be in that as the same way mm. yeah definitely so i think um with with just kind of creating more um, awareness, are there resources that you'd be happy to to share? Um, I can add them in the add them in the link afterwards. Or yeah, where would you absolutely. say to go and go and look? Just Davina McCall's. Yeah, Davina McCall's program. There's a couple of um, Instagrammers that I'll send you, which are doctors. One called Louise Newson, and she's actually featured on the Davina program. Um, there's quite a few, yes. Yeah. So I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I'll um, I'll definitely ping them over. Great, great. And um, I, I love I love it. This is again, it just it's. I, I'll say to people, oh, I've got a podcast about contact centres. Go, oh, that's what do you talk about. They said, well, it's it's a collection of people. If you think about that kind of first team that you were responsible for, I bet it was quite an even spread of demographics that like a town. You know, it's like a it's our society in a small team, isn't it? Yeah, so absolutely. We're, we're interested in people. That's what's kept us doing it. Yeah, and we've said that, and every podcast I listen to of yours, that, that's it. It's people kind of fell into fell into it, and what made them stay was was the people, wasn't it? Yeah, people and opportunity for change. I often think that, um, and not so much nowadays, but um, our industry has traditionally had a bit of a bad reputation, you know, as, as kind of a... Mm. If you go in, you come out of it, you find a better job or another job. And actually, you know, if you think about all the skills that you can pick up and all the opportunities and all the job, different jobs you can do in a contact centre, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, well, what yeah. organisations can you kind of start off on the phones and then work to digital, to quality, to complaints, to, to you know, IT, you know, anything, isn't it? And if you, if you think about you, where you are now, you're director at the uh, membership director at the CCMA you've you're so well respected you're knowledgeable um, everyone gets on with you and there might there might be people listening who think oh I I, I they want to follow in your in your footsteps um, what has been what have been the measures of your success what are the things that you this is difficult because no one likes to blow their own trumpet I know. But, um, <laughs> What would you say has kind of been, what's the secret sauce that's got you here? Oh, oh, you know what, it's a real, um, I just, I, you know what, I, I think I've got um, a great network and, and I don't say that in that I've just, you know, I, I gather people around, but I genuinely, uh, you know, I've still got, I still talk to lots of colleagues from 25, 30 years ago, you know, um, I'm genuinely interested in what people are doing. What's great about my role at the moment is I look after all our members. So I can pick up the phone, you know, and, and talk to our members anytime or give, drop them a note or do a Teams call and kind of find out what's going on in the world. And, what and I'm, you know, I'm genuinely interested in what people are up to and what their organisation is doing that, that, you know, we should all be shouting about. So I think, I think part of that is having a great network and really valuing people and their experience and, and kind of wanting to learn from other people as well. And that doesn't happen by accident either, does it? Because I think what I hear there, the key takeaway for people listening 
is whether it is at uh, industry level or community level or within your contact center level, it's about establishing relationships. Yeah. You know, it is getting connections and getting relationships with other people. And it's something that um, I think if you're naturally people inclined, you do it naturally. So it doesn't matter whether someone's in HR or WFM or you can just get on with them and have a chat with them. And suddenly, if you're in ops, your team might get favoured or your team's request might get put to the top of the list and, and things like that. But I remember working with team leaders when I was a CCM who weren't as people orientated, but said to them, okay, look at it as a task then, but you need to start establishing relationships with other people, not just your own team. You know, that kind of like wider, start building your network from the word go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it is a community of, of in a contact centre, isn't it? You know, everybody needs everyone else. It's all kind of interlinked, isn't it? So, you know, there used to be that kind of, we've said it before, haven't they, this kind of quality scene as policing the, you know, the or, and the not. Business prevention. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, same with them. We saw the planning, oh, they did never want to give me the shift or the holiday I want or whatever. But yeah. I always saw it as the, the part of our team, really, you know. And, and there was often times when, in, in, especially in the co-op, where I would run, run, I ran the academy team and I ran the training team and I ran the resource planning team for a bit. So, you know, and, and that was good for me because it gave me that sense of community. And I understood that, they, they, you know, that was important for everything else to work how it should do. So let's go back in time a bit. You've come back from traveling. Yeah. What would you right now, you as Sarah now, say to the Sarah back then? What advice would you give? Could you mention mentoring right from the start? So. Yeah. Are there any things that you think, oh, I wish I'd done this differently or or spinning that round? Yeah, what would you say to the younger version of you? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a, oh, I don't know, you know. Um, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't change that much, you know. I'd, 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 I would just reiterate that. I think that at that point I would have been saying, I want to get out of this and why am I, you know, I'll never be here, but I'll, I'd say to myself, you know, you're going to have a good career for the next, like, 20, 25, 30. Yeah. You're going to enjoy it, and it's going to be, you know, beneficial and, you you know, thoughtful and all those things. And I'd say that to myself, like, just enjoy it, you know, go with it. That's giving me a nice warm feeling because that's basically about reassurance, isn't it? Yeah. It's just yeah. saying, you know what, it's going to be all right, this is. Yeah. I've loved, I've loved it. I mean, you know what environment do you go and it's the operational buzz and you walk in the door and everybody's talking, there's noise and, you know, and I, and I think, people, you know, we're talking about that now, aren't we, with a hybrid model is like, how do you recreate that in a virtual world, that kind of buzz that a contact centre gives as well, you know, and how do you create that when we're talking about this hybrid model in and out the office? So, um, but, you know, that, that's what's kept me going it's that whole kind of people and the buzz of it all are members coming back are, are they uh, have you been talking to or even seeing members where these big contact centers are starting to fill up again or are people is it going to be half and half do you think yeah i think if, if in the first coming out of the first lockdown there's a couple of people that were straight off the blocks going right we're doing hybrid and, and kind of then have not been able to you know deploy that model yet 
um, because we're not quite there really with restrictions um, just in general. And I think people are still kind of talking about it. You know, there's a lot around um, we, we want to talk to people and see what they want and we want to be able to give flexibility. So it might it's not going to be one one size fits all. You know, it's not everybody comes in for two days and everybody is out for three days. It's kind of like what fits your circumstance with a little bit of what fits your role and the business circumstances as well. Um, so we're seeing people just trying it, almost kind of seeing what works and what doesn't and, ad- and changing it really quickly, which is ideal, isn't it? You know, nobody's come out and said, this is, we've, we've got the gold and, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know what it is. We've done it, yeah. and, you know. Yeah, we're not going to tell anyone, but no, nobody's quite there yet with it. And, then, and also, just to pick on. your brains up. Oh, sorry, go on. I was going to say what what I what's great about our members is that the um, regardless of what industry they're in or whether the competitors or anything like that they're always really happy about sharing mm. sharing what they're doing and what's best practice and lessons learned and all the things that didn't work well for them as well just to kind of help people to make those decisions. I mean, if I remember the first lockdown, um, we've got a we've special interest group for all our retailers um, and that's like you know john lewis lego Estee Lauder, you know all, all sorts and some of them are, are competitors um but when we first went into um lockdown we, we did a couple of events where we just we'd say like we're come on to come on to a virtual meeting and talk about anything you know we want to we're here to help and those guys were talking to each other going you know oh, we haven't got enough monitors or headsets and, and someone else is going, well, I'll lend you some monitors. Come drive to Manchester and pick up 20 yeah. monitors. We've got them spare. And, you know, that was amazing to see, just that yeah. community spirit. And I think that's what's great about our the, our members is they're willing to kind of share what, you know, what's working and what's not, just to make our industry a better place. And I think that that also starts from being comfortable to be, to be vulnerable and saying that you don't have all the answers. In this case, it was, we don't have monitors. So you're not being super protective, going, oh, everything's fine. You're yeah. saying, look, and, and I think that stands the test. Of that that also applies from a, an individual point of view. You know, it's being able to say, uh, I don't know something or I don't know what you're talking about. People naturally will be helpful, I think, especially in our industry but it's quite a, it, it takes us that first step of of doing it especially when you start going into management and progressing further and further you might believe that there's an expectation for you to know everything and that certainly isn't the case is it no absolutely not what do we call it the magic weekend when you when you become a team manager <laughs> um, yeah get the job on friday yeah. Get a job on Friday, Monday. You're expected to know how to manage 15 other humans, um, and you know, and, and that isn't the case anymore, is it? We know we're, we're laughing, about that, aren't we? Because there's lots of training and development and mentoring, and that you know, and you're right, and there's lots of opportunities now to to link in with other people and share best practice and mentor as well, you know, which is great. You're not left on that weekend alone. Well, no, I can remember the first track. Well, there was no training the first time I was ever on the phone. So it was just get on there. Yeah. Here's, here's, a, here's a paper script. Get on there and make sales. I was like, oh and my gosh. I know. And that's why when I worked at Barclays like 25, just 27 years ago or whatever, it was, it was, you know, you, that was the story. You heard there was no training, but they were amazing. Yeah. That's great, isn't it? I know. What, um, 
as we're kind of looking ahead then, what excites you about um, the future, either from the industry or just things that are coming up? Yeah, so um, so I'm, I'm really interested to see how the, the, the model works out because, I mean, this is a game changer, isn't it? We, we know, we've been talking about homeworking for years and years and years and no, not many people were doing them. I remember when um, I joined CCMA, we only had about two or three members that were doing some level of homeworking. Mm. Um, so I'm really, really interested to hope that we get that right and it, and it works for, you know, everybody, for, you know, business, customer and people. Um, so that's quite exciting. And, if, you know, I, I do think that agility piece is really, you know, when, when I used to work at JD's, our CEO used to say, um, we're like, he used to compare himself to other catalogue companies and he used to say they're like a massive trawler. And if they want to change direction, it takes them a week to turn turn the dial on anything. But J.D. Williams, he used to describe himself as a speedboat. So he said, we're little speedboats. And if we want to change direction, we will. We can go anywhere we want to. We, we plan for 80%, we fail 20 and we move on. And that's what he used to say. And I think... I think this year has, has brought that kind of mentality to lots of organisations who traditionally maybe have never worked like that or felt like that. And I can't, and that's really great to see because you can see that they're pushing the boundaries on loads of stuff. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love that. I know. I love chatting to you. I always learn something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we're going to have to call this uh, to an end, but we'll definitely do um, another one. Um Sarah, thanks very much for joining. Like I say, I've, I've always loved spending time with you. It's a highlight of doing the SIG, but whenever we're doing judging and getting together, you you are definitely an SME and um, you kind of represent the industry for me. Oh, oh yeah, we need we definitely need to get face-to-face, don't we, and get a picky next time. We'll have our picky from last year. Oh, no, thanks so much for having me, Martin. Take care. Thank you, Thank Sarah. Thank you. See you later. Bye. Bye. And we're back. Well, tax season's here, folks, and you know. Hi there. Whoa, where'd you come from? April here to tell you about the tax filing software from Tax Act. Uh, seriously, were you like hiding behind my desk? Seriously, Tax Act makes it easy to get your maximum refund. Well, you heard it here first, folks. Switch to Tax Act today and you can start for free. Or as we say at Radio Land, subtle. Tax Act. Tax Act. File for less and get more. See TaxAct.com for details. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forced Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations.